hope you're doing well. My name is Anahita Sen, and I'm a co-facilitator of the M&A Stories YouTube podcast, which is brought to you by Fifth Grown Business Insights. Welcome to season three. The theme of this season is culture and its impact on M&A integration. Culture is one of the biggest challenges that face an M&A integration. And this challenge couldn't get any bigger as more companies are pursuing M&A based on people in culture. That is why it is important to understand, internalize, respect, and develop a clear plan of action on how to handle culture in M&A. In this season, we will be interviewing industry leaders from across the globe to hear their stories on how they address culture in an M&A integration. So here we go with today's episode. Hi there. Hope you guys are staying healthy and safe in whatever part of the world you're living in. My name is Anirvan Sen, and I'm your host today. Welcome to another episode of M&A Stories. Our episode today is a special episode as we are joined by two senior practitioners. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Claire Marie Nasser and Kathy Powers. Welcome Claire Marie and Kathy. How are you guys today? Yeah, we're good. Excited to talk about culture, right? Very excited. Hot topic. Awesome. Awesome. And as you know, today is a special episode because normally we have one guest, but today we're joined by two practitioners. So this is really brilliant. Um, let's start with an introduction. So maybe Claire Marie, uh, if you could start with your introduction. Yeah, so um, hi everyone. So I spent my uh, whole career in M&A. Um, I started in consulting um, and then moved to the client side. And I had the chance to work in various industries, starting with financial services, technology, and more recently media and advertising. Um, overall, I've been involved in over 200 deals, integration or divestments. And, um, and what I've been passionate about in the past years is developing um, M&A integration capability within the business I work in. So growing from a team of one to two per people to a well-established in-house team within the business I work in. And that has been um, a really exciting journey. I've had the chance to do that twice in my career. Um, but recently, a big change. I've, um, I have Kathy who is with me today. And um, she's heading up the MA uh, change practice as part of my team. And this is the biggest chance I've ever made uh, in the MA integration capability because I've added some dedicated change leaders to the team. Excellent. Thank you, Thank you for that introduction. A little bit about me. Hello to everybody. I've been in change management for the last 17 years or so. I actually started out my career as a print journalist in South Africa. And then after a short stint in corporate communications with the central bank, I then joined one of the big four consulting firms as a management consultant. And that's when I started to build up my change management specialization and to, and to deepen the specialization. Within change management, I spent many years in the oil and gas sector, and only recently, uh, within the last year or so, have joined the exciting world, media and marketing world, with Claire Marie to establish the employee experience and change team. Wow, that's a big transition from oil and gas to media. I mean, I haven't heard anybody <laughs> else uh, do that uh, transition. So, ladies, welcome to the show. You, As you know, the theme of the show is culture. So maybe we get started with your perspective on what you mean by culture in M&A. 
All right, shall I start? You start. Uh, and uh, before you start, I just wanted to say I could not do that podcast without um, Kathy today, given the topic is about culture. So I'm uh, really, really pleased to have her with me today. Thank you. Awesome. You should ask her uh, during your appraisal, you know. <laughs> I should, I should, absolutely. <laughs> yes. All right, so so what is culture and why why is it so important within an MA context? Essentially, when we look at culture, culture really encompasses how people behave in organizations, but it's so much more. It's about how leaders lead, it's about what the organization values, and it's also about the extent to which individuals' values and purposes align with the organization and what it values. And um, this is important in, important in the M&A context because what happens in, a, in an M&A context is two distinct cultures are being brought together. And often the extent to which people can identify with the broader organizational context, the acquiring organizational context, will drive their engagement, will drive their motivation, and that is what hits the bottom line. So that's why culture is so important. And there are many different models out there that attempt to explain culture. Some of them look at dimensions like inward focused and outward focused, formal, informal, hierarchical, flatter structures, and others try and look at the constructs of culture. So the, the values, the, um, the signifiers, the signs of culture. For me, I don't think it's important what particular model you use, but I think it is important to be able to put yourself in the leader, the acquiring, the acquired organization's um, leader's shoes and the employee's shoes, and to map out their journey from deal origination to post-integration and to understand what impacts on that journey. So to my mind, culture should receive a lot more attention than it does. Um, because the extent to which people identify with the organization ultimately drives success. It hits the bottom line. So my work uh, is directly related to that financial success. Yeah, and I think it, when you think about M&A um, and, and culture specifically, a question that usually get asked uh, is, can culture be a deal breaker? And I'm sure a lot of uh, M&A practitioners have had that discussion uh, in, their, in their career. So can you drop a deal because of the culture differences? So my answer to this is actually no, uh, you would never drop a deal because of culture. However, if you want to protect value realization, you need to ensure that culture differences and, and transition is being managed accordingly and issues mitigated because having employees on board with the change will, will, will drive the, the value ultimately. Um, and so with all of this, you multiply your return by two or five, um, two to five, really. So I think it's, it's, the culture needs to become a lot more critical in the M&A process and, 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 and more tangible. That's a very interesting angle that you bring in, Claire-Marie, uh, which is uh, culture cannot be a reason why an M&A should be called off. Um, and I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk more on that one. Um, and thanks, Cathy, for sharing your perspective. So, so moving on. Um, why would you uh, say culture is not necessarily a showstopper? When you buy an acquisition, you are technically bringing two cultures together. You bring people together. So the, the culture topic will be there anyhow. And given we work in such a 
global world now where we regions or you know, geography don't matter anymore that much. And you, you are deals where you, you, you are working on deals that are cross-regional. Um, and, and, and so I believe you, you always need to find a way to deal with it. Um, and the more you give it love and you take care of it, the, the, the better you'll be able to realize your value. And this is where I think we can go into the detail of how do you make it more tangible in businesses we, we're working, I guess. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, just to kind of expand on that, you know, I always take culture and look at culture as children in a school, right? Um, there are different children have different behaviors, different values, different cultural orientation, and yet they go to the same school. You just need to be able to understand uh, some of their behaviors and why they behave in a certain way. And then kind of make them fall in line with what you expect uh, the school behavior uh, should be. And I see this uh, a, a, a strong analogy, a, a strong resemblance between the two scenarios, right? So my take uh, is often that people, it's not, it's not necessarily that culture is a showstopper. It is people's inability or the business's inability to understand culture. That becomes a huge challenge. And, and there's a reason why a large number of MNAs fail, and one of the biggest reasons why MNAs fail is culture. Um, now, you, you have uh, international background, both of you. you. You were born in a different country, um, and then you moved to another country. How is national culture different from organization? Let you take this one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've actually been part of a, a business being acquired myself. Um, and I think um, that has been quite a, an eye-opening uh, situation to be in, especially when you are an MA practitioner and you want to continue in that field. And the reasons for that is I, I was really surprised by you know the ways of working of the acquiring business and it was really different from the 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 country I was working in and we had to really as acquired employees we had to really understand how we were going to you know adapt to that new phase and that has been extremely difficult and that was really linked to the the the, the, the national differences so that's the first uh, example the second example I'm going to give is I was hired in the past uh, to uh, lead a French and the acquisition of French business. So I've all, I was already based in the UK, and I was hired to do a, the acquisition of French business by the, by a UK firm. And I, hopefully, I was hired because I was French. You can hear it from my accent, but hopefully, that was not the only reason. But hey, that, that was one of the reasons. And I think what 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 that matters mattered is because the way. And it's easy for me to say because I'm French, but the way French people do business is slightly different from how we do business in the UK. And so my ability to navigate that culture difference and be and get, my ability, the ability to get closer to those French leaders and work closely with them and work in a certain way with them, like, you know, lunches, it's a bit of a caricature, but lunches are really important. You make decisions over lunches sometimes. So the ability that I had to be able to do that with them and get closer has made a massive difference on how I led the integration program. Uh, for that one in particular. So that's probably the flavor I would give, um, the two examples I would give to the question you just asked, Anivan. What I've noticed is that certainly on an organization that we've acquired recently, uh, an organization in Asia, 
What's interesting is that uh, the organization uh, had a a very strong culture. So a founder formed culture, it had been formed, the company had been formed over 26 years or so. It was very family orientated, it was very paternalistic, um, it was very close. It was a big emphasis on in-person events, on cultural celebrations, on things like sporting events and sports days and and those sorts of things. So, So... the kind of in-person stuff is was really important to this company and a little bit challenging in the post-pandemic hybrid world where certainly the integration team was remote from the on-the-ground uh, organization and what was happening in person. But what made the biggest difference in terms of, of that integration was actually getting to visit the organization in their space, see how they were set up and make those personal connections. So um, that was really important and certainly to that culture. So that was was a, a good example. And on to that in, for that for this acquisition specifically, in terms of the different countries involved in the integration program of people from countries, I think you had probably six or seven countries in total working as part of the integration program. Mm, so I think yeah. that was a <laughs> a challenge by itself. I yeah, could and imagine. Just, yeah. And and just just give it, getting everyone aligned and expectations set and a common vision um, was what was really important in the end. Right. Um, between the two of you, I'm sure we've got a number of years of experience related to m and transformation. Um, imagine there is a new person um, in a company who's just starting out and you have to explain um, how to navigate cultures in m what would be a good starting point for that person? I think the first starting point, uh, and, this, and this is around leaders, is, is to understand the fundamental role of leaders in shaping in, and driving culture in organizations. And within m and this, this needs to, this understanding needs to be applied to both sides, both, both the buyer side and the seller side. So working with those leaders, setting those expectations about their role in terms of the fact that these two entities are coming together, they need to be empowered and enabled to set the, the right tone and, and to lead their, their people throughout this integration. So that, that's the first big thing. The second big thing is I would very much advise people to begin with the end in mind. So as these two entities are coming together, there is a certain end state vision that gets developed at some point. I would recommend that it gets developed very early on, as soon after deal close as possible. And granted, it might change and and evolve over time, but get the buyers and the sellers involved in those discussions um, have them early on, and again, that allows leaders to be empowered to lead and set the right tone. Because if those discussions are delayed in any shape or form, or the thinking gets done by the um, acquiring organization and the sellers are kind of left to, to get on with running their business, the sellers then start to form formulate their own decisions and make their own decisions about what their end state is going to be, which might not align to the intent of the acquiring organization. And they start to make their own personal decisions about their roles. And that then has a trickle down effect into their organization. And certainly in one instance, 
we've seen it start to impact and integration quite negatively. Um, and the result of that was seeing, seeing that kind of negative effect, we actually started to accelerate those in-state discussions to turn the whole thing around. So that's the other thing I would say. And then uh, a final thing I would say is have some way of measuring and assessing the commonalities and the differences between the two cultures, whatever. It might be a very simple assessment or survey, but have something and as a starting point and then uh, take that forward and make sure that you align that to the strategic drivers and use that as a basis for your integration planning going forward. I'm going to add to, to that, if that's okay, Anissa. And I think for, for when Cathy joined the team actually of MA integration specialists we've got here, I think what we had to really focus on is ensuring we had the right allies in the business who were sponsoring us in, in driving the, the cultural aspect of an MA integration. Um, the example that Cathy touched on a bit earlier, I mean, we had the, the chance to have the sponsor being supportive of the change management side of things, which means the, the focus on culture we, we've been allowed to do. If you don't have that support in the business you're in, it is going to be really hard. Mm -hmm. So tactically, you need to navigate your business, understand where you are from a change standpoint, identify your allies, your sponsors of the change and cultural aspect of an MA integration if it's not a transformation and get those guys on board supporting you in doing it. Um, and it comes to the fact that culture is quite intangible, as I've said. So one of our objectives, that mutual objectives, is to find a way to link change and culture to the financial um, outcomes of a deal. Mm -hmm. um, we haven't cracked that perfectly yet, but it's it's something <laughs> that's on our yearly objective, let's say. So come to us at the end of this year and we'll have an answer for you, basically. But that that's going to be the what makes it a difference because then we'll be able to reach out to those senior stakeholders and say, hey, here's what you need to invest in culture. See, here's why you need to have culture as the first, I'm exaggerating a bit, but the first discussion point when you do an M&A deal is because this is going to get you that amount of return to, to the deal you want to make. That makes sense. In fact, uh, when you talk about the financial impact, uh, you know, our team's uh, been creating a mathematical model, a financial model, I shouldn't say mathematical because that sounds very theoretical, but a financial model. And this was also something that came up very, very strongly last year. Uh, we did uh, research with financial uh, impact, uh, measuring and characterizing financial impact is a challenge uh, when it comes to culture. Now, Obviously, uh, and I'm going to quote one of my friends, um, um, he always tries to uh, draw similarities between dating and um, relationship and, and culture in an organization. Typically, uh, the first few days, for a few weeks, even a couple of months, um, people are in their best behavior, right? I mean, especially from the target company. It's only when the initial euphoria dies down, the honeymoon sort of goes off. That's when the real uh, cultural elements come out. You know, sometimes the fangs come out. Um, how does one ensure right up front uh, that they're able to extract some of these pieces, some of these underlying, um, let's say, structures, practices uh, right up front so that you don't have to see the ugly side uh, of cultures uh, and, and get shocked at a later stage? I think for me, it goes back to, again, making clear what that end state is, setting the clear expectations about roles. That's the one side. 
But I do think there is a part of culture that is always going to be like an iceberg. It's always going to be below the surface. And as uh, the various uh, teams, integration teams on the buying and selling side uh, come together and start to work together, there is a natural process of forming, storming, storming, forming, and norming that, that happens. It, it's natural. It happens in every team. And as that starts to happen, that's when you start seeing more elements of the culture being revealed and possibly more resistance if expectations weren't set up up front. But, you know, it is, is a natural part of the evolution and the process. So I don't think you can all, always avoid it in my mind. We've been focusing on the partnership that is critical between the, what I'm calling the MA execution team and the MA integration team and change. Um, it can't be two teams, three teams working in silo. It has to be almost the core team needs to include the three components and that from deal origination because those really early discussions that are happening with maybe sellers, um, the change team needs to be a fly on the wall so they can hear the behaviors, the words that are going to be used. And that is the almost the beginning of that kind of cultural assessment. Mm -hmm. There are tools that you've been using on the pre-deal phase, right, Cathy, that are doing that kind of assessment between the two entities. But sometimes you get a lot, a lot out of a simple discussion between the sellers and the buyers, I guess. Absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. And, and uh, in fact, uh, um, culture is not a kind of a binary assessment. You need to do multiple things, you know, maybe stakeholder interviews, surveys, uh, focus group discussions, third party data points, et cetera. So no, absolutely, I, I completely agree with you. It has to be a more comprehensive, multi-level uh, um, assessment that needs to be done. Um, there are certain things that are almost um, factors that if you do not handle properly right up front, uh, can start creating that cultural dissonance very, very quickly. In your opinion, what are some of those uh, critical factors that can create an early dissonance? Do you want to take this? I mean, I can start. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you can um, you can um, uh, add to, to it. So I suppose if we take the example that um, Cathy touched on a bit earlier on, I think this business we, we acquired, um, had so many different layers of cultures to think about. Um, the countries where the acquiring business was into and the, acquire, the acquired business was into uh, and the differences between those two countries and cultures, we talked about the national differences before. Um, the fact that the acquiring company was a big corporate, cautious, risk averse, and the acquired company was a entrepreneurial, you know, massively growing business. The fact that um, the, the the capabilities that we were covering in in the acquisitions as well, so you had a bit of a, a balance between what we call onshore offshore as well, and that's different ways of working that to be considered as well, um, and 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 so on and so on. So I think it's by maybe looking at those various critical success, those various um, characteristic of the business you're acquiring and the business who, who is acquiring as well. So you need to look at the two of them and then map that out. Um, would have allowed us to do more potentially, I guess, right? Sure. Mm -hmm. 
And I think it's important to look at the employer employee experience journey and the leader yeah. experience journey as two almost separate parts of one whole. Yeah. Um, so what's important in the leader experience journey is to plug them into the fabric of the broad, broader organization as soon as possible, but without overwhelming them mm-hmm. um, and to set the expectations about what's expected of them and their role. For employees, it's really important to plug them into the team and social aspect of the broad organization uh, to allow them to understand who they need to work with, which teams they need to collaborate with, and um, how to identify strategic opportunities and deliver on those opportunities and then set them up for success, make sure they've got the tools, et cetera, and and the right environment to do so. The other really important thing that has cropped up lately is it's also important to educate the acquiring organization about this new acquisition. What is this new acquisition all about? What is the rationale for the acquisition? Why did it be bad? What's the USP? You know, why why actually should we care? Um, And then almost to create that, that kind of profile for the acquisition to then set them up for success that way. So those are a couple of other points just to take note of. And maybe the great outcomes of, I mean, you joining the team and and us working together on this has been, I've seen several times us making decisions on the pace of integration. Should we accelerate? Should we slow it down because of those differences that we've been seeing from a culture standpoint, change standpoint? Um, we've changed the prioritization of the integration activities because of those findings. So I think it's the ability to be flexible on a given acquisition on how you're going to approach the integration because of what you are finding with it, this cultural assessment or, or cultural differences and change more widely. Yeah, and also the behaviors that are that are happening throughout that integration. So I, I referred to that negative leader behavior earlier on uh, when the in-state in uh, discussions were delayed, creating a, a behavior impact and creating a negative impact on the integration. So it's about making sure that the entire team is aware of the impact of the integration activities, how that's impacting behavior, how that is in turn impacting the whole integration journey, uh, making sure that everyone's aware of those, surfacing those, and as Claire Marie says, reprioritizing if necessary. Right, I'm sure um, some of our viewers and listeners would be curious to hear, um, maybe if you could share some examples of what things happened that kind of led to delays um, of integration or what led you to start accelerating uh, some of the integration? So the first example that comes to mind is the the team uh, on the acquired side was getting overwhelmed by the integration activities that was that was supposed to happen. And mm-hmm. so and then they were new to that process. They've never been acquired before, never been part of an acquisition process either. So that it, for them, it was all new. Sure. And when we started to walk them through, here's the integration plan. This is what we're going to be doing. And they were like, okay, okay. But the more we were going to tell the panic. <laughs> yes. And so we had to make it, and, and the other, that you could see they were overwhelmed and, and, and that, that was not landing well. So we had to make a decision on, slowing down the integration and pacing it in a, in a group. And we had to get all stakeholders on board with this. So on both sides, the sellers, as well as on uh, in our sponsors. Um, and we made that decision to just slow it down and, and take it easy for a period of time. As long as 
the focus on the synergies were still there. Mm. So there are certain parts of the integration you can slow down. Not all, obviously, otherwise what's the point of doing this? Sure. What are some of the things that you see, some of the positive stories that you've seen or uh, you've been connected with uh, regarding culture and m and I mean, where you had a scenario where something happened and because of which there was a boost to the integration of culture, you know, something positive um, that you can, if you can remember. From, since the CASIS team uh, has been established, I can see the difference on acquisitions and the progress with, with and on the integration program we're doing. I see um, if I compare the recent acquisition we've done with Cathy and, and, and her team on board and the acquisition we've done, let's say, three years ago, the, the, the way we've been able to approach and flex on an integration program and communicate about the change as well has been, oh, it's black and white, let's be honest. So I think it's... it's um, it's a, that that example I want to say. I mean, now we've got a really small team of change leaders, right? Kathy, it's a Kathy and, and somebody else. It's just two people across the the, the whole all the acquisition we've been doing, and it's not enough. But I think it, the focus for us has been on prioritizing certain deals uh, and certain acquisition integrations to showcase the benefits of doing that kind of thinking upfront and throughout. Yeah. So it's upfront and and during the process never stops. Um, and and based on those case studies, is make sure we get that support to grow the team further and focus a lot more on change and culture early, earlier enough, if that makes sense. And I think the other advantage of um, this employee experience and change team and having this team on board is that a lot of a lot of these acquired organizations are very small, very founder led, yeah. founder focused. The culture is built around the founder, and the founders are very protective about their culture, and rightly so because it's driven their past success. So when they see an employee experience and, and change team come in that understands the importance of their culture and wants to understand how we can retain what's made them successful in the past and take that forward and learn from it uh, in the context of this broader organization. I think it it puts their mind at rest that there's somebody a bit <laughs> there's somebody with that broader view. Um, and yeah. But we've been working with acquisitions where the sellers were actually receptive to the culture and change discussions and we've yes. been working with other acquisitions where actually said so I was like no I just want to create the value let's let's yeah. do it let's do it so again it will depend on the human reaction you get in front of you right so I think sure. we are prioritizing who how are we going to get Kathy and her team involved in deals depending on that too we have to right right what, what time does Kathy's team normally get involved at what stage of the MNS life cycle so we're starting to get involved in due diligence. Yes. Uh, it is a bit of a learning curve, uh, but at the moment, yeah, it's due, due, due diligence. We had to do a lot of education in our business on first getting integration involved from origination, and we've right. reached that. We've got that partnership working now, and it makes a big difference in how we approach the integration and how it affects the deal structure. And more recently, with, with change now, getting change embedded early enough uh, sure. in the process. You can't start integration or, or those assessment after close. It doesn't make sense. But I mean, we right. all practitioners will be listening yeah. to that but hey, hey, for sure. Yeah. What are some of the uh, pieces that you assess uh, during your due diligence stage? From a culture perspective, yes. Um, well, certainly, what we would do is we would we would look at whatever kind of talent information we have at at, at hand. So we we would look at any org structure charts, how the organisation is is structured, what sort of locations it's situated in, what sort of numbers. 
Um, and then we'll look at the leadership structure. So that'll tell us certain things about how, how leadership is set up. Uh, then we will do the culture assessment, which is essentially a, a survey, a list of surveyed questions, which is done with one of the leaders in the acquisition and then one of the leaders within our broader organization. So we've got that, that difference. We can see that difference. And then um, an important piece uh, is that we also need to understand the value drivers. So we do we do some work to understand the value drivers, and that then allows us to kind of scope the, the change management piece. But on the culture assessment, what, what we would do behind the scenes is we would take the results of that culture assessment and do a deeper analysis, looking at the implications of what are, what are the things that are common to both organizations? What are the differences that we need to resolve? What are the things we can amplify and need to amplify that are critical to the success going forward? And of course, then that connects to the end state, having some sort of idea of what the end state is and what we need to protect about this acquisition. So those are the sorts of things we would do in due, in due diligence. And we would also look at any kind of leader information uh, to hand. Uh, so whether it's anything the integration teams have unearthed during their discussions with the leadership of the acquisition, uh, and we bring that all together in, in a, something quite concise, a concise sort of analysis, piece of analysis. And then that's taken forward into our larger employee experience and change management plan. Right. And when you talk about uh, the assessment and, and some of these things that you mentioned um do you mind if i were to ask you to unpack it a bit more uh, so for example uh, you mentioned that a lot of the acquisitions that you've been involved in uh, is of an acquisition of a company that's maybe you know five to twenty times smaller than you so what things would be similar and what would be different between the companies when you do that cultural assessment so the similarities are generally around uh, both organizations working in quite creative environments, innovation being important. Um, there's a, a certain amount of entrepreneurialism that's apparent mostly in both organizations. The biggest difference and what creates the biggest amount of friction is that our broader organization is extremely large, extremely global, a multinational. And these smaller organizations, acquisitions, often have employees who have come from, for example, the big four consulting firms have, have escaped from that sort of environment, have joined a smaller organization and don't really want to go back to that. So, so that's, and in fact, that's something we're dealing with in an acquisition in uh, Europe at the moment is this distrust of this big multinational. And the second big difference is the amount of, I guess, back office processes, rules, regulations, uh, bureaucracy, if you, if, if we can, we can call it that. It's structures. That. Exactly. Exactly. Open structures. Yeah. Yeah. And how how things are done, the the decisions, the authorities, that sort of thing, that also starts to create friction, because these small organisations. You know, often they've they've done month-end reporting, you know, on Excel spreadsheets, and now, oh gosh, How many <laughs> they've systems? got to <laughs> do it on multiple systems, and it's it's quite a shock. Yeah, yeah, and no, absolutely, you know, moving from Excel to Hyperion has been a challenge for a lot of organizations. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned um, assessment. You mentioned um, 
interactions with uh, both the teams. Um, and then early on in the interview, you also mentioned about some methodologies, uh, some tools and techniques. What are your favorite tools, templates, techniques, if you can share? So I'm a big fan of Harvard Business School research. I found an immense amount uh, of wisdom and insight fr from that research. And I, and I dip into that regularly. Um, so that's one source. The other source is the Neuro Leadership Institute also does amazing research in terms of culture change and how to manage culture change. And, and that really does tap into how people are wired, individuals are wired, and, and how we can shape journeys to, to help people along the way and, and to smooth the way. And then... Um, as I say, I'm I'm not really wedded to particular models or I kind of collect things uh, along the way. Um, and then I think it's also important to understand the intersection of what impacts behavior. So the individual, the social and the environment and how all of those work together. And then in a post-pandemic world, the environment has taken on particular characteristics. We work in a very hybrid way. Some of us are very remote and not so hybrid. Some of us are more in the office. And again, that does depend on the culture thing that we were talking about earlier. So certainly in a, camp in a country like Spain, a lot of people are more going into the office than, than they don't. So the office office environment is very vibrant and and you need to take particular note of that uh, in particular organizations so those are the the kind of things i dip into cool and when you talk about harvard business school research uh, are you referring to the harvard business review magazine or are you referring yes. to the okay yes. okay for 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 the listeners and viewers we're going to put a link in the description box um for those ones um uh, Claire Marie, are there any of your favorite tools and technique templates? Now get the best partner in crime you can get to deal with culture is what <laughs> I would say, you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm really hopeful about how change will evolve in the MA landscape. And maybe in I mean, you know, five years, ten years time, change will be at the forefront on how we make a deal rather than project management, for example, which at the moment is still the case where project management is really heavy compared to change. So how do you get that change? you know, establish within your company so you can sure. do it in the right way. So I think I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to the next five years, really. Awesome. Awesome. Um, maybe now it's the time that I can ask you a couple of uh, simple questions, you know. What are some of your favorite business books? I'm going to say Start With Why by uh, Simon Sinek. Um, yeah. So Simon teaches leaders how to inspire people um, and why it makes a difference. So I think for me, it's so relevant in the M&A integration process where and every leader should have that on their bedside table to remember that just be just remember to bring your employees on board in, in the journey, starting with why. Right. So I think for me, I've been quite um, impressed by, by that book specifically. Brilliant. And one of my favorite books is called The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. And I absolutely love this book. It's a, it's a book I, I return to time and time again. And it's a book not only about leadership, but it's about conscious leadership. It's about life. It's about everything. And it's just it, it just contains so much wisdom. And, and it's all about how to lead and help leaders lead with authenticity, openness, and curiosity, and move away from defensiveness and close-mindedness and, and that sort of stance. So I find it immensely valuable in the type of work we do. 
Brilliant, brilliant. Um, Claire-Marie, you mentioned about uh, change in the next five years. You know, if you had a crystal ball, what would change look like for you in five years, maybe 10 years? In the MA integration in the space, landscape? yes. I mean, I think as, I, as I've mentioned before, I think the focus on change will, will be greater in the next yeah. five years. Um, and, and it will make a difference on how we do deal. If you get you want to get your value out of a deal, get the people on board. How to get the people on board, get a change yes. on the deal, right? Get Kathy Powers. Yeah, uh, get Kathy Powers right? <laughs> in your team and, and, and just um, do it this way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, and and I'll probably share some uh, um, some input from from my side as well. What we see is a lot of the M and A process, the thinking that is there. Uh, I call it the twentieth century thinking. It's still very asset based. Its thinking is um, if by acquiring assets I get competitive advantage. But now in the third decade of the twenty first mm-hmm. century, um, people have become the new weapon of competitive advantage right and and it's not just people it's people organization structure culture leadership packed together pocl that will give a new competitive advantage you know not having um assets is not enough to get you that extra edge you need that people and leadership around that so um that that's that's a that's a good call out uh kathy uh power to you what, what would be your future in the next five to ten years so I think um, in the next five to 10 years, I would see change in employee experience, get involved, the teams get involved right from the get-go um, rather than being a kind of afterthought in due diligence. Oh, yeah, yeah, we've got to get them involved. Um, so they're right there, they're at the table, they've got access to the, the acquisition leaders right from the get-go and um, all of the important information that allows us to then formulate those employee experience and leadership experience plans. What I would say, though, is, look, we're talking about a very nebulous topic often. Often it's, yeah. it's kind of couched in these sort of mythical terms. And, and I think there's, there's a lot of mystique around culture and around culture transformation and, and integration, culture integration. I think there are very... Con- there are very clear ways that we can make it concrete. So so if we accept that culture is about behavior, it's about how people behave, and it's also about the fact that people people join an organization and they they do the work they do because they're motivated to do that. Yes. And if we can create an environment that motivates people to do the best they can do, then we're on a winning ticket. But how do we make that concrete? Well, we can look at how organizations are designed and how business processes are designed. And what I what I mean by that is there's certain things, and I'm and I'm referring to some Harvard uh, Business School research here. There's some certain things they found that really have a motivating impact on people. Mm-hmm. And when they're badly designed, they have a drag. So things things like, for example, how roles are designed how compensation works, uh, the benefits that people are given, how career frameworks are designed and communicated, the type of leadership that people work under, the community and environment that's formed within organizations. All of those have very concrete and tangible aspects to them. 
And if we understand how we are designing those things well or badly, we can then understand how they motivate or demotivate people. And that's part of uh, this culture integration. But I think we need to get the balance right also, because when you there a deal is, is being worked on, it's extremely competitive. And the more you involve people, the more it's going to get challenging because too many cooks in the kitchen situation. We know we know that. So how do we get the that focus on change early enough and supportive of the deal negotiations without bringing the whole company into the process? Because that's not feasible. I don't think we've cracked that either. So mm -hmm. I think there's a bit of work to, to be done. Sure. And I think just a, another point I'd like to make is, and this, this goes to the kind of best of both idea. <laughs> and... <laughs> <laughs> so I I'll comment that <laughs> so, so we know, right, that we buy organizations because there's a USP, you know, there's something specific that we bought them for. There's a rationale. And often what makes them successful in the past is yes, they're people who deliver great things, but also the way they deliver it, their culture yes. and what motivates their people. So in a culture integration, what we have to do is we have to take the best of the acquiring organization, we have to protect the best of this acquisition, bring them together in a way that allows this best of both to evolve. And that, to me, is the key to success. So the best of both from a cultural standpoint, maybe, but not from a non-integration standpoint. That makes me shiver when we talk about the best of both for integration, because sure. I don't believe in it. But maybe from a cultural standpoint, it can be done. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, you know, that's a very interesting uh, aspect that, uh, uh, Claire Marie, you bring up. Uh, in mm -hmm. fact, um, I just can't stop myself but sharing my own views, right? Um Essentially, uh, and this is where a large number of organizations get it wrong, they pursue cultural integration. You know, it's like getting the best of both worlds or, you know, um, the, the, the reality is that Claire Marie and Kathy Powers, they bring their own strengths. Uh, it is about using uh, the right strength at the right place. But, you know, bringing it back to the cultural integration, we say it's not about integrating culture. It is about creating the right culture for yeah. the future requirement of the company, you know, uh, through acquisition. So, which is very different because I find um, that often people just pursue cultural integration kind of in an isolation. We need to, we need to combine people, their behaviors, their values and all of that stuff without necessarily um, understanding or acknowledging what would be required uh, from an M&A strategic objective so so yes uh in that case clevery i'm probably with you on that one i'm not saying kathy i'm against you but i'm just saying uh with uh, clevery on that one um i'm sure we could spend another couple of hours talking about this particular topic fascinating topic um but um we are almost re uh, you know about to reach the hour now before we go one last thing i want to ask yourself um both of you in this case um what piece of advice would you give to somebody who's starting out their journey um, in M&A? For me, M&A is about trust. Um, so how do you get to that trust situation? How do you get the sellers to trust 
you're going to help them navigate that journey? How do you get the sponsors to trust the integration team and the change team that you're going to help them make their deal successful? And it goes down to transparency and and people and human beings. Um, So always keep that and and state in mind uh, having that trust throughout. Sure. And your point about sharing information, I think working in a very non-siloed way, it's not only my team that owns change and employee experience. The entire integration uh, team and the various work streams all have an impact on change, on employee experience. So they they need to be very aware of this. They need to be aware that what they're doing impacts employee experience, and we need to be sharing information as one whole team. And and together we we own it all. We all own it, and we all need to drive it. Wow, that was such a nice way of wrapping up our show today. Um, I'm sure our viewers and listeners learned a lot uh, from the powerful duo that we have as our guest today. So thank you so much, Claire Marie Nasser and uh, Kathy Powers for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Anivan. Thank you very much. So for the viewers and listeners, uh, that's it. Uh, this was what we had to share today. Uh, so thank you so much. Until next time, Here's to the promise of winning culture. Did you like today's content? If yes, then don't forget to hit the like button. If you heard something interesting, then don't forget to share it with your network and friends. And last but not least, please support us on this journey to spread awareness on topics related to M&A and integration by subscribing to our channel. That's all for now. Stay healthy and see you next time. And if you like this session, I'm sure you'll also like our latest new tool. It is a quick assessment scorecard to assess the robustness of your culture integration capabilities in M&A. It just takes less than five minutes to answer. It is for free and you get instantaneous assessment. So visit culturema.scoreapp.com. That's C-U-L-T-U-R-E-M-A dot S-C-O-R-E-A-P-P.com and find out for yourself. I hope you guys enjoyed the show today. This show was sponsored by Fifth Chrome, a business strategy advisor in a training company specializing in M&A, post-merger integration, and business strategy. 